You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, happy holidays to you. Do we even know what holiday it is? I mean, we, we just got through with Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's been so wonderful with the leaves turning and the weather turning cooler and the opportunity to be with family. And I, I trust that you were able to gather with maybe with a friend, maybe you were with some family, or maybe you were even on your own. However you celebrate, I hope that you were able to spend time being thankful. You know, we spent time together doing just the traditional Thanksgiving. Uh, we had green chili chicken enchiladas, uh, red chili chicken enchiladas, uh, Anastasi beans, guacamole, homemade salsa. We made our own tortillas. The blue corn tortillas didn't turn out so well, so need a little help. If you've got some advice on blue corn tortillas, because it was not, it was my fault, it was a bust. But you know, just your normal, traditional Thanksgiving. I don't think we're gonna go back to the old pilgrim way. We are definitely native New Mexican in the way that we're eating now. And then we did probably like you did, made the gear shift. Nathan and I were up on the house, hanging Christmas lights. And then we were all putting up the Christmas tree, setting up the, the decor. Did anybody do any of this stuff? You make these shifts? Well, I'm working on a new Christmas decoration that I want to run by you and just see what you think. Something that's a little non-traditional. You know, we're used to the tree, the towering tree with lights. But I think we should add a tree stump. That's right, a dead, dry tree stump. Just kind of drag it into a corner of the room as one of our Christmas decorations. Doesn't that sound beautiful? I mean, we, we put a lot of dry things around, pine cones, different dried hollies and things, but why not a tree stump? Now that's a little odd. I'll tell you more about this tree stump, but I I think personally some of us drag a tree stump into the holidays anyway, don't we? We've experienced some kind of a loss or we're going through a difficult situation. We're facing relationships that may not be what we want or maybe we want them to go away and so it's kind of like we kind of already have this tree stump and I'm just saying we ought to drag it in and put it in the living room at first Christian we are a group of people that are rooted deeply in faith we're we're driven and directed by the hope that we have that's beyond ourselves and we're surrounded in love, a love that holds us together beyond even the love that we're able to show. We're wrapped up in a much, much bigger love. And that experience invites us to maybe approach the holidays in a different way, the way of hope. Today we lit the hope candle, focusing in on things as they should be, as they are, but they're almost invisible to us. We have to look more diligently to be able to see and discern it. So what it takes are some ingredients. You had lots of ingredients that you made for your holiday festivities, but the ingredients that you're needing today to show up is yourself. You got to bring who you are. And I'm inviting you to bring the ingredient of this dry stump, your circumstances, 
the economic situation that you're facing, the physical ailments that you might have, and even those relationships or spiritual ailments. I want you to bring that and let's focus in on hope, the hope that God calls us into. I found out a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even a little over a month now, that one of our clubhouse kids, you know, we got to enjoy our kids today, wasn't that great? So many people serving downstairs, so many of our kids involved in kids' clubhouse, but one of them is reading through the whole Bible. Now, that's a, that's a big deal even for an adult. And so I, I asked her, you know, how it's going, if she had any questions, and she said, well, you know, no, no questions. I've been able to ask my parents. They've been a- answering questions. Okay, okay. And then she said, well, there is one thing I've wondered about. When do I get to the Jesus stuff? When does Jesus show up in the story? And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I mean, she's only in Exodus at this point. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a long, long time. A lot of boring stuff. Many, many pages that you're going to have to plow through before you get there. But, in some ways, Jesus is there in those stories. In every book. Almost on every page. In this series, that's kind of what I want us to do. We're kind of looking for something hopeful to arrive. We're welcoming Jesus into our hearts and lives. But when is he going to show up? And so for these four weeks of Advent, as we we gather around and move our way towards Christmas, each week we're going to be looking at an Old Testament prophet. A prophet who speaks in times when they're not very good at all. When there's really nothing joyful, nothing hopeful to talk about. And it's in the midst of those times that these prophets begin to speak about the arrival of Jesus. And so each week we'll take a different prophet. This week we're going to look at Jeremiah. And in the other three weeks we'll look at Isaiah. And we'll invite them into the room. And these guys have the unfortunate luck of of speaking in very difficult times. Times that are troubling and hard and difficult. And we're going to do that in order to celebrate Advent, which might be a new word for you, Advent, a word that means coming or arrival, kind of a churchy word for sure, but that's what we want to be about, welcoming the arrival of Jesus. I, the older I get, the more I want to see some meaning in the things that I'm a part of, the things that I do. And I know that Santa and reindeers and Jingle bells and all of that is lots of fun and good. But for more than 2,000 years, we've used this season to look to the arrival of Jesus. And so I'm not going to be a Grinch. I promise you that. There's going to be joy. There's going to be giving. But I want to do so through this tradition of welcoming the arrival of Jesus into our presence. Because that's significant. And maybe each of us can begin to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus even during less than ideal circumstances. So to do that, I want you to imagine that you're, you're watching a trailer. We're going to be reading from Scripture here. You know how you, you see a trailer for maybe a new show, for a streaming show, maybe it's a movie, and you try to figure out what this movie is going to be about from the trailer? Well, this may be one of those trailers where you're squinting at. As we read these words from Jeremiah chapter 33, uh, I want you to think of it like a trailer. What are the things, is there some, something that catches you about a, a word, a character, some music in the background? And if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word from Jeremiah 33. 
Verse 14, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to make grain offerings, to make sacrifices for all times. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if any of you could break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night would not come at the appointed time, only then would I break my covenant with my servant David, so that he would not have a son to reign on the throne, and my covenant with the ministers and the Levites. Just as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will increase the offspring of my servant David and the Levites who minister with me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can find your seats. Okay, so granted, this trailer may not be the most captivating, right? We've got priests running around. We've got David being mentioned. Abraham. Who are these bearded people that are roaming around in the story? Well, we have to know that what's going on when this trailer hits the people of God. We've got Jeremiah, this prophet a dissident prophet, which means he's giving harsh words to the people of his time. A prophet who doesn't get to come on the scene in a very good time. He comes when religion is declining, when people don't really care about religion anymore, when the kings are not all that good. In fact, it's the last three kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, all come unraveled during this time. They're, they're basically like kings that are puppets on the strings of foreign governments. And Jeremiah is a, already has seen, not in his lifetime, but several hundred years earlier, the people of Israel, that nation collapsed, the northern kingdom. And now they watch as Jerusalem is laid siege to, and Jerusalem is destroyed, and the temple is pulled apart and the people are in captivity. That's what he watches over the course of his lifetime. It's not a great gig to be a prophetic minister at that time. And that's the, the, the situation that, Joseph, that Jeremiah walks into, a time of great hopelessness, almost like a dark alley, a dark alley that we wouldn't want to be in, a gutter that some of us have been in before. We've been at the gutter of this toilet trying to make sense of our lives, wondering how we've gotten to the end of this situation. A time of abandonment, maybe we've had some kind of a, a death, or the death of a relationship where they walk away from us. A time of abandonment. Maybe we feel this abandonment as we sit on working the phones in the utility company or in the doctor's office and hearing what people say, can you give me just a little more time to pay my medical bills. 
Or maybe more accurately, being on the other end of that phone and saying, we need a little bit more time to pay our utility bills. This is the kind of circumstance. What do you do then? Some people in those times of abandonment, those dry stump times, rely upon their faith because that's what they've got to reach out beyond themselves to something that is more reliable, to reach out to those people of faith who can help. Some people reach out to their own doubts. They're able to raise questions of God, and I encourage that to ask God, hey, why is this happening? Why am I having to make these phone calls? And others others of us face people, voices, those from the outside that say, well, why are you bothering to follow God? You're relying upon your faith in this time that's so down and so difficult, and yet what has that gotten you? Where has that led you to? It's into this moment that Jeremiah steps forward and articulates the words of God. God speaks. Will the people listen? Will we have ears to hear what is said? Verse 14, the days are coming when I will fulfill my promises, is what God says. The days are coming. They're arriving. They are on the way. Not here yet. Oh no, because if you look around, it's not good. But the days are coming when God will fulfill his covenant contract. Now we know what contracts are. Sometimes we impose our understanding of contracts on scripture and on these stories. And we think, okay, what am I gonna do to uphold my end of the bargain in this contract, right? So with a contract, uh, I'm going to give you X and you will pay me Y, give you, whether that's a service or a product or something, and there's an exchange, there's an obligation because I've given you something and so you give me something in return. Oddly enough, that's not the way God does covenants in scripture. You need an example of this? I mean, sometimes we think about that it's all about the good that I do that activates the good that God does, but that's not how covenants work. Think about Noah. Noah, the guy with the ark and the flood. When the floods came and the earth was destroyed, God said, I don't know about that. I don't think I'm going to ever do that again. I'm not going to destroy the whole earth with water. And he makes a promise to Noah, says, I'm not going to do that. Puts a rainbow in the sky. Is there anything Noah has to do for that? Nope. Nope, this is about God. God says, I'm going to give you X. There's no obligation. This is my covenant to you. God is the one obligated. Similar thing happens. That was in Genesis 9. Genesis 22, God makes promises to Abraham, this childless old man and his wife. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to make many descendants come from you. I'm going to bless all nations through you. Is there anything that, that Abraham has to do? This is not about his activating this. He does have to do the whole circumcision thing. That's yet another sign. Not a good rainbow there. We might prefer a rainbow. But yet God is the one giving out these gifts and offering them. In our text today, that Abraham covenant is tied to a David covenant where God tells David, King David, you're never going to have someone that's not of your DNA, that's not on the throne. Is there anything David has to do with that? No, he he will not be around. This is on God. And finally, God gives a visual, a very graphic visual. 
You want to know how you can unravel this covenant that I'm making with you, God says to us as people? If you can make the day stop being day, then you can unravel it. If you can make the night stop being night, then you can unravel the covenant. Wow. So God ties it to the natural order of things that we don't have any ability to change day and to turn it into something that it's not or to transform night and to make it something that it's not. That is how secure and tight this covenant is that Jeremiah points to by the very word of God. And to this bitter group of people who are giving up on their religion, they start to have their ears caught by this promise, this resilient promise that even when we mess up, God is right there to take care of us and be with us. So that's the first thing I want us to hear, that God makes promises. And when God makes promises, he keeps those promises. He holds true to them. In verse 14, you can go back and look at that, about how God makes these promises. Well, the second thing that I wanted you to catch is that God hasn't rejected his people. In verse 25 and 26, he doesn't buy into people pointing the finger and saying, oh, God's given up on this group of people. Just look at how disastrous their life is. No. He doesn't listen to the word on the street. He doesn't listen to the rumors. He doesn't buy into the perception. God has not rejected people that come to him. Even though it looks like they've been abandoned, they have not. Instead, God's intent on blessing them. And again, he draws on this covenant that he makes with the day and the night. I can't unravel the day and the night, says God. I'm keeping these covenants together. In fact, his final word, when he slams his fist on the, the desk of this chapter, is mercy. Literally, the final word of this chapter is God showing mercy in verse 26 to this group of people. Now, when I hear those words, that God's going to hold true to his promises, and that God will not reject me, that's a God I want to be attached to. That's a God whose covenant blessings I want to experience and to enjoy. And yet there's one more final thing that I want to leave you with. Not just these promises from God, but this name. The Lord is your righteousness. This name is given. Given in verse 16. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, it's a little weird because when you read it, you can't tell whether it's being talked about as a ruler, a person, or a place. Now, why would they confuse those two things? A, a ruler and a place? That doesn't ever happen. Like, we don't have anybody named Washington and we, that's a ruler, and we don't have anywhere that we can go now that's named Washington, like Washington State or Washington, D.C. Okay, okay, so maybe it does make sense. The Lord is our righteousness, is both a ruler and a place. And this is when Jeremiah drags the stump into the room that I was talking about earlier. He says, you might feel like you are a dry, chopped down tree, an uprooted stump, that may be the circumstance of your life. But God says the days are coming when I'm going to bless you, when I'm going to give life to you. 
makes sense that winter would be a good example for this, right? A time when things seem to be dormant. They seem to be dead and lifeless, but they're just in hiding. They're just in hibernation. It's just out of our view. There may be times when we feel like God is not being faithful, but this God, the Lord is our righteousness, is both the ruler of our lives and the place that we can exist in. We can welcome him into our hearts, into our lives. And Advent, Advent is this expectation that we have that this is on the way, it's coming. Because when God says that he's going to do good things, God's going to do good things. When we say we're going to do good things, we don't often do good things. I'm still supposed to help trim some trees of my neighbor. That's been a few weeks back. I haven't come through on that. But when God says he's going to do good things, he does good things. And he does it even in spite of the bad things that we do, calling us gently, calling us intentionally back to him. So Advent, this time of coming, this hopefulness that we have, it's certainly about Jesus' birth. We are thinking back to the arrival of God, making time and space sacred by God's presence here with us. But it's not just that. It's not just something in the past that we remember. It's also something in the future that we're looking toward. The second coming, the arrival, the arrival of this branch, the arrival of the Lord as righteousness. We are living our lives, leaning into with hope what's coming in the future. So it's past and it's future. And it's also in the present moment. As we welcome the arrival of Jesus in our hearts and lives right now. It's not just something that we just say, oh, it doesn't affect me at all. God's going to take care of this. No, it's something we can lean into and begin to live in now. Where we look at our lives and might be tempted to focus in on the dry stumps of our lives, the things that are not going well, the things that are dead. And I want you to do some stump meditating this week to think about the dead things in your life, of what's not going as you would intend for it, but your life is not all dead. It's not all dormant right now. There are flowers. There is growth. There are trees that are growing. There is water that is coming from the heavens. There is air that we can breathe, sun that is alive. There is much vibrancy around us, and it would do us well to focus in on, in hope, grabbing on in hope to what God is doing. A God who says, when I make a promise, I'm going to keep it. A God who looks at us and says, no, I'm not going to reject you. Come to me. I'm a, I'm a good one to hang out with. I'm, I want to surround you in the love of God. This God who does good things because God is a good God. And in this life, we can acknowledge that there are difficulties, that there are things that like Jeremiah's time, do not go as we would intend. But we can live under this ruler. The Lord is our righteousness. We can live in this place. The Lord is our righteousness. And we can live in a way that takes the ingredients of our lives, who we are, who we are as a human being, 
the dry stump, too, that we drag and scrape across the floor, things that are not going well. And we bring all of that as ingredients to see what God will do. The God who reigns as righteous and holy and true. Let's pray. God, we all sit in different places. We all come from different places. And yet for this few moments, we are scraping across the floor the dry stump of our hope and we're asking you to show up. God, would you be faithful to your promises? Would you help us to know that we are not rejected? And would you help us to begin to move towards you in ways that we haven't in the past, that you'll open up our hearts to reach out to you in prayer and devotion. Thank you for being a God who makes promises like you make promises and not like we make promises and keep promises. May you inspire us to be more like you. We pray all this through Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.